0: This is Ed Mazur, Chairman of the City Club of Chicago. Our program today, attended by more than 300 interested citizens of Chicago in the metropolitan area, featured Bia Biagiagi, the Commissioner of Transportation for the City of Chicago. Her theme was Our Connected City, in which Commissioner Biagi laid out her plan and the plan of Mayor Lori Lightfoot So that Chicago will become the most connected city in the United States of America. She laid out a vision for trails and corridors of bringing green space, especially to underserved areas on the west and south sides of Chicago. She talked about funding for infrastructure, money raised by Chicagoans and through the Biden administration that cities like Chicago have not witnessed for generations. This means improvements for streets, sidewalks, intersections, bridges, bike lanes, bike racks, alleys, street lights, the river, railroad viaducts, and much, much more in terms of infrastructure improvements and transportation improvements for the city of Chicago. She pointed out that for some people it's hard and costly to move around Chicago. Department of Transportation Commissioner Giaggi said is working to ameliorate the, these situations and improve mobility. Transportation, she says, has a direct effect on inequity, poverty, and neighborhoods. She laid out a roadmap that would indicate increased access to opportunity, aligning streets with values, streets that will be free from violence, and a Department of Transportation that actually works on behalf of the citizens of Chicago. Her goals, she said, make it easier to walk places, reduce commuting times, make cycling safer, reduce automobile congestion, mitigate the impacts of freight, connect sidewalks, reduce dangerous driving, and ensure that streets respond to community needs. She said these are important challenges that the city faces, but the city has been working on this For several years already, by December of 2022, 125 miles of new bikeways in Chicago. And get this, over 5,000 bikes will be given away to citizens in Chicago. And you can join Divi, not for a large sum of money, but $5 will cover five years. All of this, Commissioner Biaggi said, will allow Chicago to become the most connected city in the United
1: States, I'm uh, Dan Gibbons, a, a I keep saying new, but not relatively new board member of the Board of Governors for the City Club. Honored to be here and see everyone in person, um, and and uh, was asked a few minutes ago to introduce uh, one of our many guests of honor, but the uh, the guests of honor who really needs no introduction. So I will keep it very simple and very quick. Uh, we all know how busy she has been. Uh, wow, has it been a rough, how many, uh, days, um, two years at least and, uh, so much more to come. And now is when the job gets even that much more exciting as we see uh, a lot of investment in our city, uh, not, not only here downtown and in the business district, but also on the South and West sides, uh, someone who's, who has uh, been a champion for our city, uh, here locally, nationally, internationally, uh, for so many years, and we're so lucky to have her as our mayor. I'm lucky to have her as, as my friend, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Please welcome Mayor Lori Lightfoot.
2: Well, I promised Gia that I would not embarrass her in front of this esteemed crowd. So I will keep my remarks uh, brief, but let me say this. Um, Folks, first of all, it's great to be back uh, in person. To to be able to see everybody's faces, Mm -hmm. um, see this room full again, and really the buzz um, that comes with a City Cup lunch. So congratulations to the club leaders uh, for staying the course um, and really bringing things back. And I'll be with you, I think, on April 19th, and I'll save (laughs) long remarks for them. Uh, G. Biagi and the CDOT team are really knocking it out of the park. And let me tell you a little bit about why um, I think that that is so. Let's go back. Long before COVID ever came to our city, uh, we were working very hard to alleviate poverty, invest in our south and west sides, and ask tough questions on how our tax dollars were being put to work for our residents. And rightfully so. Our residents have a right to know where their dollars are going and whether or not those dollars are benefiting them in their block, in their neighborhoods. And Commissioner Biagi was and still is an important partner in these efforts as transportation and infrastructure are key pillars of the work that we do and what our residents expect in this city. So whether you make your way around Chicago by foot, by bike, by car, by bus, or transportation, as you will be able to see and experience and benefit from the hard work of the CDOT team, Uh, who helped make our vision for the city a reality and respond to the needs of our residents. Transportation and infrastructure are quite literally the backbone of our city. And we are so lucky to have a leader like Gia Miyagi. And before she answered my call to return to public service, um, she was a principal at Studio Gang Architects. Uh, which, as many of you know, is one of the world's leading architectural and urban design firms, and their mark is all over our city's skyline, and soon will be gracing our new international terminal uh, at O'Hare Airport. And during her time at Studio Gang, uh, Commissioner Biagi was tasked with bringing equity and positive change to cities uh, throughout the country and the world through the power of urban design, planning, and strategy. Her ability to closely collaborate with a diverse group of leaders and to make um, cities and particularly Chicago a better place is one that she honed right here in our city. Many of you know uh, that she worked in a leadership position at the Chicago Park District and worked to advance the city's efforts to revitalize neighborhoods through planning, engagement, programs, policies, and capital investments. She and her team have been tremendous partners um, to all of our city uh, departments as we work to protect the well-being of our residents, create good paying green jobs, and improve the communities from the inside out through the power of infrastructure. And today you're going to hear about our newest Green Mobility Initiative. I'll let Commissioner Biagi um, give you all the details. Uh, but just suffice it to say, we are releasing a vision for trails and corridors. Putting local and hopefully federally dollars to work to build community wealth, um, health, and bring green mobility uh, to neighborhoods all over our city, uh, and particularly on the south and the west sides. Creating more green spaces and improving the city's outdated infrastructure is vital to what we need to do to revitalize neighborhoods, uh, which is something the commissioner knows uh, very well. So I'll just say this um, in closing. We have more resources to do infrastructure work than we've had probably in 30 years or longer. We didn't wait for the federal government, we passed our own capital plan, a five-year plan um, that is already in year two and we are doing great things. We um, have commitments of $1.4 billion um, so far and more to come. And that is your hard-earned tax dollars at work. And Commissioner Biaggi, um, First Deputy Carney, and the rest of the CDOT team are making sure that we are putting your hard-earned tax dollars to work. Folks, this is our WPA moment in Chicago. We have never seen resources like this before, and we absolutely expect to do everything that we can to transform neighborhoods all over our city for the better for years to come. We are lucky, lucky to have a person like Gia Biagi um, in the infrastructure team um, that she is a part of to lead our efforts in this way. And I will just tell you, she is gifted, she is smart, she's determined and innovative, and I am fortunate and lucky to have her as part of our team. Without further ado, I bring you Commissioner Gia Biagi of Sida.
3: Wow, I got a lot to live up to. Well, it does feel great to be here, see people, uh, their whole faces, I guess, right, uh, here at City Club. And thank you so much uh, to City Club for having me here. And thank you to Mayor Lightfoot uh, for all you do, all of the support, all of the leadership. You heard, really, a preview of what I'm going to talk about today from her. And it's her kind of leadership that will enable us to make transformative change in our city. So we do have a few folks from CDOT here in the room. Uh, you heard first deputy Tom Carney with some pasta in his mouth over here.
2: <laughs> we got, we
3: have managing deputies Kevin O'Malley, Dan Burke. We have deputy commissioners Jamie Simone, Vig Krishnamurthy, and so many more. And in fact, thank thank you to all of you. I mean, this room. Oh, let's let's clap. Thank you for that. Thank you to all of you. I mean, in this room, I can see our collaborators, consultants, community advocates. It takes all of us together to move the needle on the kind of change we wanna see in this city. So thank you all for being here today. And as you heard from the mayor, we are at an important moment. We have funding for infrastructure like we haven't seen probably in a generation. And we have challenges in front of us that we're a generation in the making. And this is the moment right now where we will make that kind of change in our city for future generations. So today, I'm gonna talk about how we connect the dots. How our work in transportation can make our city that more equitable, accessible, resilient, and connected place. So uh, we're connected by a lot of things, and one is by these and so many other assets in our city. It's always a good reminder for me personally, and I think for everybody else, about the the amount of inventory that we manage. With our 4,000 miles of streets, that's 4,000 miles of opportunity, opportunity to collaborate, to invest, to put these streets in service of what our city needs and what communities need and want. Our bridges and viaducts, they keep, they're at the epicenter of this nation in terms of moving freight and people and goods all around the country. Our streets, our sidewalks, our busways and bikeways, they all enable us to move around the city. Our boulevards, shared streets, outdoor dining. Who doesn't love outdoor dining? It makes it a livable city. Right? Thank you for the clap. Uh, but all of that combined, it's powerful. And the choices that we make about what we do with all of that, that has everything to do about where we can go together. So I'm going to start with a couple of maps, and that's that's the planner in me. So take a look at these maps. So on your left, my right, is a map of something called mobility hardship with the red and the blue and the yellow. Now, mobility hardship is all about how hard it is to move around our city? Is it expensive? Does it take a long time? Is it physically difficult to get around, especially if you're a senior or a person with disabilities? So in red on that map are the areas of our city where residents experience the most mobility hardship. In blue, the areas with the least. So the other map, the green map, that's economic hardship, meaning folks challenge with low incomes, crowded housing, uh, lower education levels, all kinds of factors go into that. In the dark green are where our residents are experiencing the most economic hardship. The lightest green is the least. So these maps they're pointing us toward where we can make a difference in our city. We know we can make mobility in our city work for everyone, especially in neighborhoods with the longest commute times and spending the largest percentage of their income on transportation. We can make transportation safer, more accessible, more affordable, and help break that cycle of intergenerational poverty. We can improve neighborhood air and water quality and do our part to address the global economic, global climate crisis. And it's all through how we invest in transportation. And you heard the time is right now. But if we're going to get it right, we can't only be thinking at this 30,000 foot level. We can't only be thinking at the map view of our city. We need to be thinking and listening and collaborating at the one foot level of our city. And that's on the block. Now, most of us, this is your daily life, right? We're spending our time trying to figure out on the block, how do I get from where I am to where I need to be? All of that happens at that one-foot level. And that experience in your everyday, that is a kind of expertise. Now, there's expertise at CDOT, here and back of the office and out in the field. There's expertise in this room, for sure. This is a powerful room. But there is expertise in the everyday local knowledge And local know-how of everyday Chicagoans, who walk the sidewalks, who take the bus, who ride their car, drive uh, drive their car, ride their bike, drive their car, and travel around our city. So, if we're going to change those maps I showed you and make our city more more equitable one, we have to keep our eye on that big picture, that thirty thousand foot view, but we need action on the ground, that one foot level, at the block. And we have to connect all the dots in between. So our strategic plan for transportation is how we connect those dots. We published it last summer after more than a year in development. And it's how we center equity in our organization, how we connect that big picture with our everyday work, and how we be transparent and accountable in our efforts. And... A strategic plan can be, it can be a lot of navel-gazing, right? Staring at yourself, how could we do better? But we didn't develop it in a vacuum. In addition to engaging folks at all levels of our organization, our sister agencies, and other departments, a coalition of more than 30 neighborhood and mobility justice organizations in Chicago called the Transportation Equity Network, they joined us at the table. And they joined to challenge us, to educate us, and to help align our work with that vision that we share in common of a more equitable city. So the strategic plan has a number of themes. It's about access to opportunity. It's aligning our streets with our values around equity and mobility and economic and environmental justice. It's doing our part to make streets free from violence. And it's being a CDOT that works. And we do work every day but we wanna work better for everyone. So those four themes are mapped against, matched with 84 strategies, hundreds of benchmarks, and published across a long 79 pages. I think we have some copies here, but you can always get it online. But this is our roadmap. It's a roadmap towards safer streets, improved infrastructure, better transit service, bike and bus lanes, and so much more. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about the themes and then kinda of dig into some of the goals. The theme of access to opportunity is focused on goals around reducing those transportation costs, providing safe and reliable transportation options. So this means action, like closing the gaps in our transit network with better and safer access to buses and trains. That's expanding micromobility. And yes, micromobility means scooters. And yes, you'll hear more about that next week coming your way. Um, But it's also bike share. It's also doing what we can to mitigate the negative impacts of vehicle emissions on communities. And that's a big part of aligning our streets with our values. That is investing in the health and wealth of our communities. It's about well-maintained streets that encourage and support local economic activity, It's making sure sidewalks are navigable, accessible, and connected, and you'll hear me say it a thousand times, where people want to go. It's not rocket science, right? But that's what we need to be doing. It's also investing in things like our tree canopy and stormwater infrastructure. The third big theme is streets free from violence, and this is about doing our part to eliminate serious injuries and fatalities from traffic crashes and building streets that make sure people are and feel safe and welcome. It's changing our streets from drive-through corridors into local destinations. It's lighting, it's public art, it's street furniture, it's, you know, a whole range of things. It's lowering the speed limit, it's safer walking environments. We want to invite people to the streets and sidewalks. And when we have more people on our street, that's more eyes on the street, and this helps us move toward a more vibrant and peaceful city. And then of course the CDOT, that works. And that does mean making our workplace more productive, collaborative, and resilient, and making sure that we expand our partnerships with everyone, especially the communities where we're doing work. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about how these themes translate to those goals and then into action a hundred people in Chicago every year are killed in traffic crashes. It's its own epidemic across the United States. Speeds are up, especially when COVID was at its height, and more people are being killed or seriously injured than ever before. Now, much of this is preventable. There is such a thing as driver behavior. There is such a thing as cars that are designed bigger and meant to protect the driver, less so the person who's walking across the street. But there are other kinds of design. And some of the measures that you see in this image are about how we address some of that. That's bump outs that shorten the distance crossing the street. That's wider turn angles at intersections. That's pedestrian refuge islands in the middle of that busy roadway so you can stop for a minute, let cars go by and cross again and not feel stranded. In the last two years, we have installed more than 750 pedestrian safety projects around the city. And by the end of this year... We will have installed over 1,000 pedestrian safety projects since 2020. That is a huge, huge impact on our city, a positive one. Thank you. Now, we know where the need is because, in part, the crash data tells us so, right? There are other maps that I can show you. But we are also working in communities to understand what safety looks like and feels like (laughs) on the block at that one-foot level. So our street safety planning action is called Vision Zero, which means bringing the number of people killed or seriously injured by traffic crashes in Chicago down to zero. It's an international effort. The way we roll out that program is all about this one-foot level. We walk the streets together with residents to deepen our understanding, to co-create a vision, and then we follow through with those thousand projects. And the key is that idea. And I said it's not rocket science, but it's really so fundamental. It's understanding where people are trying to go. Are you trying to go to church? Are you trying to go to school, to a park, to work? And what are the challenges in getting there? These appreciative conversations result in better projects. And they're attuned to the fact that every block is a little bit different. Every neighborhood is a little bit different from the one next to it. Our bike network planning follows that same strategy. It's a community cycling strategy. So now it's, it is easy to draw lines on a map. If you're a cyclist like me, you look at the map, I can draw a line here, draw a line here. That's where we should have our bike routes. But it's a lot harder to do that when you begin to understand everyday life in a specific neighborhood. And while we have done and will continue to do a ton of work in developing those commuter routes, getting to work and back. We've realized that if we want to become the best big city for cycling in the country, if we want every one of us to spend time on a bike, and we do want that, we need to make biking a part of everyday life. Not just to work. Four-fifths of trips in a city are not to work. They're all these other places. And so just focusing on getting you to work by bike, it's not going to get us there. What's going to get us there is community-based planning. And this is is part of our work in North Lawndale, where we connected the dots. By the end of this year, on the west side of the city alone, and that's Lawndale, that's belmont Cragen, we will have 45 miles of new bikeways on the west side of Chicago that fill the gaps and make a neighborhood network. And we're doing this everywhere. In fact, by the end of this year, we will have added more than 125 miles of new bikeways to our system since 2020. This surpasses the mayor's goal of 100 miles in her first term. We blew right past it. We have never built bike infrastructure this quickly in our city's history. Last year was the biggest year ever. And we've been at it, you know, since 2010. So over the next two to three years, we're going to hit a total of 500 miles of bikeways in our city, up from the 300 miles we've been hovering at for the last several years. And for those who are paying close attention, yes, we will be transforming painted lanes into protected lanes. Everywhere we can, we'll be doubling our mileage in that regard. Right, Deputy Commissioner Krishnamurthy, who's looking at his phone? Yes, we will be doing all that. (laughs) Uh, I can't see my prescriptions really bad. I don't know who that was. Uh, So here's the thing. We make these small networks in neighborhoods, and then we connect them, right? It's like hubs and spokes. It's nodes and arteries. We'll also finish our expansion of our Divi bike share program this year. We are the largest bike share system in the United States. No city. Yes, you should clap for that. (laughs) That's good. No city. No city has bike share in every corner, every neighborhood. That's where we'll be by the end of this year. We have the most coverage of any city in the nation. And new this year, right now, because I'm saying it out loud, we're expanding our discounted Divi membership for low-income residents. So right now, we have a program. It's $5 for a year membership. That's a massive discount. Well, we're going to make it $5 for five years. Some certainty, some affordability, another option for low income residents in our city. That's a dollar a year for five years. And also announcing right now, so team, write it down. We're going to give away 5,000 bikes to Chicago residents. Free bikes and a helmet and a bike lock. And it's not going to be a dippy bike. But again, we need to do our... Wait, I can't have those. They're they're very fancy. But we need to do our part, right? We're building out the network. We've got the bikes. And hopefully, what you're learning in this conversation is that this work, it takes time. It takes engagement. It takes understanding the forces at work in a neighborhood and figuring out the right miles, those meaningful miles, the ones that make a difference, the ones that meet people where they are and get them to where they need to go. So all of that, it does take vision. And on that map there, you can see that's our lakefront trail and our boulevards. They, that took vision. Together, those two trail and corridor systems make up 50 miles existing right now of connected routes for walking and biking, running, picnicking on the boulevard, in fact, actually, they're the same length. Maybe it's, it's, you know, once you imagine that the length of the lakefront system is the same length as the boulevard system, except it runs through neighborhoods. Think of how impactful that is. When you add in other parts of our existing trail and corridor network, you get up to about 80 miles. But today, and you heard the mayor mention it today, through Mayor Lightfoot's leadership, we're announcing a new Connected Trails and Corridors Vision that will add 48 miles to that trail and corridor network and include a $15 million million funding commitment from the city to help make that happen. This is the first time we have them all on the same map and we're doing them all at the same time to build out the most connected system of trails and corridors anywhere in the country. So this means the Riverwalk, we're going to turn the corner and take it to Chinatown. It's the Big Marsh Trail and the African American Heritage Trail on the far south side. It's the Wild Mile on the north side. It's the Altenheim Line on the west side. And it's the Englewood Line that turns rail into nature trail on the south side. And I didn't spot Anton here, Anton Seals from Englewood, who was going to join us here today, who's a big partner in that project. So the Englewood Line is many years in the making, and it has a few more years to go. It's so much more than just turning a a mile-and-a-half-long railroad embankment into a linear park, which is where we're headed. But it's how we leverage our infrastructure to improve the health and prosperity of a community that's experienced years of disinvestment and is on that map, experiencing that mobility and economic hardship. So we are leaning into infrastructure like this and connecting it to that larger network. And I mentioned Anton, who's from Grow Greater Anglewood, And one of the hats he wears is lead steward for his organization. But he's an example of a tireless champion in a community, a relentless advocate for Englewood, who's been pulling and pushing the city along to do this kind of transformative work in ways that actually protect and support communities where these opportunities are. So CDOT, the Department of Planning and Development, the Park District, the Housing Department, we're all at the table on this. But it's not our table. It's the neighborhoods table, and it's our job to work in solidarity with them, and it's our job to put some money on that table. So in addition to the $15 million in funds to the Connected Trails and Corridors vision, including $6 million for the Englewood line, we're also in pursuit of federal transportation dollars like raise grants and congestion mitigation funds and some of the new competitive grant sources out of the federal infrastructure bill. So we are going to add to this pool of resources uh, that is our local commitment. So when you match this vision for trails and corridors to our pursuit of that citywide bike system, of safe walking in communities, you get the most connected city in the country, and that is where we are headed. Thank you. So all of this work, It sits on a foundation of capital investment that you heard the mayor talk about. We are making capital investments, construction work, all over the city through our Chicago Works program. And we officially launched the start of construction yesterday. You've probably seen our crews already out there. Rain, sleet, snow, whatever is happening today, we're out there getting the work done. And we've been able to because of local money. As the mayor mentioned, more than a year and a half ago, when, when nobody knew if there was going to be an infrastructure bill, how long had we been talking about this? Mayor Led with a local Chicago Works infrastructure bill, and she mentioned it. It's a $3.7 billion program kickstarted by city council with $1.4 billion of that approved for the first two years, and we're, we're heading into year two. That is a huge local commitment. That's how we build that foundation for generational change in our infrastructure. Now, across the city, just to fix the basics. This isn't even the fun stuff. Well, it's all fun. But just the basics. Basic need. We have more than $4.4 billion in need. That's for our bridges and our streets and our alleys, lighting, the shoreline, streetscapes, traffic signals. There's need all over our city. And we have areas of our city that haven't seen investment in decades. Now, we're looking at about $17 billion coming from the federal government to Illinois, and uh, we'll be scrapping for our fair share right here in Chicago as part of the Biden administration's infrastructure bill. And along with those formula funds and the competitive grants, there are even, there's even possibly earmarks, so we're going after all of it. We're going to grow our program. And so it's a good thing we were already getting started, right? So that local money, we are able to build the plane that we're flying right now to get all the work done. So with all that capital money though it's important that we talk about and we share with you that we have a clear set of criteria for project selection one that takes into account physical need and state of good repair and that's we're very good at that but also takes into account community engagement planning key policy initiatives and those strategic plan goals so on the left far far left of the screen in green that's our that's a slice of our pavement condition index. So what that means is we drive every single street in the city every three years, inventory, the condition, and apples-to-apples comparison, worst-to-best condition of streets. That is an example of how we define physical need. That's data, that's observation, that's intake, and that's how, in part, we develop our choices for fixing streets, right? But that is not enough. So on my side of the slide here, your far right, uh, this is another data set. And this is how we take all of those conversations that I was talking about with uh, communities and Vision Zero and bike planning and what people are experiencing on their block. That gets turned into this kind of map. That is a combination of what we know from data about traffic crashes in, in red and those those. Uh, Heat maps and mapping what people are observing in their neighborhoods and then what how they're feeling, how they're telling us. And that at that intersection that is data and that becomes criteria for projects. But in the middle is a new tool and that helps us to connect to those mobility and economic hardship maps in the beginning. This is our new mobility and economic hardship index, the MOBEC. You can call it that. And what it's doing is combining those two maps and transforming it into a tool where we can address those questions about mobility and economic hardship by targeting our investments in a way that makes sure that transportation investments are made in areas of the city that experience the most hardship. This is just another way that we are connecting the dots between the shovels we put in the ground and A big big picture of a more equitable city, and thanks to the Center for Neighborhood Technology who helped us develop this, no city in the country has this. No city in the country is putting a lens like this on all of their capital investments to make sure they get it right. We also prioritize projects that are part of key citywide initiatives, like our city's efforts to reduce violence with place-based, community-driven improvements. That's part of that picture. So what you see on screen is work done in West Garfield Park by residents and the Garfield Park Right to Wellness Collaborative that are the basis for upcoming projects at Legler Library and Melody School and the streets in between that we're actually designing with kids in the neighborhood to redefine them as play streets, connecting the dots in a part of our city that experiences the most violence. Now, while we do have areas of focus and on those maps, we will be in construction in every corner of this city. I guarantee it. Thank you for your patience in advance, but we're going to be everywhere. We'll be on the north side, the south side, the west side, everywhere in between. So I'm I'm going to run through some numbers. So since 2020, we have rebuilt and resurfaced over 300 miles of our streets and alleys. And by the end of this year, we will have delivered 530 new miles in the, through the Chicago Works program. These are huge numbers for us. We have more than $300 million worth of bridge and viaduct projects in the pipeline across 45 different projects. And you saw at the beginning, you know, we have 400 plus bridge and viaduct structures across the city. And we've got jobs going on all over, uh, including the one pictured here, which is the 43rd Street pedestrian bridge over Lakeshore Drive connecting neighborhoods to the lakefront. Uh, which uh, Chief Engineer Dan Burke promises me, where are you? That'll be done this year. (laughs) If it's not, you know who to call. (laughs) We'll also be upgrading thousands of infrastructure that is associated with our lighting system. But I can't talk about lighting without talking about what we finished this year, which was our smart lighting program. Chicago now has the biggest, best, smartest lighting system in North America. We replaced 280,000 outdated light fixtures with high-efficiency LED fixtures and a smart node technology. You can see it on the, the head of the light fixture. You see those little nodes up there? What that node does is it tells us, is the light out? How's it doing? Tests the circuit. It actually routes work orders and then uses machine learning to route the crews themselves who get to the job. It's a national model for how to convert a legacy system, which really means old, uh, into a modern state-of-the-art. I'm going to have to start using that. You're not old. You're just legacy. Um, But one that transmits real-time data on how this critical piece of infrastructure is performing. Through this, so we just finished it, we've already cut the city's electricity bill in half. That is huge. Not to mention, yes, that's a lot of money. It's money and it's power that we don't need to draw. That is good for our climate. We also created jobs. We helped companies start up. We have now new companies on the west side that get folks who've been touched by the criminal justice system into jobs, building smart nodes, and now they're building fare boxes for the CTA, and then they're moving on to EVs. We are creating pipelines for folks to gain skills and to get back into the marketplace uh, and getting Chicagoans into jobs. That's very important. And I, I, I can't leave without saying that this program will cut the city's electricity bill in half, and we will save Chicago $100 million over the next 10 years because of this program. That is huge. Imagine where we could put that money. So the list goes on and on. I could talk about you know, a WPA streets program. The mayor mentioned this is our WPA moment. Yes, and those streets were built during that moment, and they don't have the utilities they need. They sometimes don't have curbs or lights. Um, there were huge reconstructions. Now we have a program, a new green alleys program that reduces flooding in our alleys, in our neighborhoods, a massive new streetscape program. We will be investing nearly $200 million in streetscapes all over the city. A streetscape, in case you don't, it's it's the curbs, it's the gutters, it's the sidewalks, it's benches, it's lighting, it's public art, it's everything in between, it's bus stops, really that complete street development. We're doing miles and miles across the city. And that $200 will include every single corridor in the Mayor's Invest South and West program. That's 12 commercial corridors that will get that treatment. And that is about prosperity. A street that feels good, that you want to go to, is a street you might shop. A street that has a bench and some trees is a street that you might shop for a minute, and then you go down and you buy a coffee, and then you go down and you buy, I don't know, a pair of sneakers or whatever it is. But great streets are critical to the economic prosperity, especially of our commercial corridors, especially in our Invest South and West communities. So we are moving the needle in a huge way on this uh, all right now and over the next couple of years. So that's a lot of numbers. It's a lot of projects to keep track of. I don't, I don't, uh, there's no test at the end of this, but it is a, a lot of goals, except for my team. But it is a lot of goals, and it's a lot of benchmarks to hit, so here we are full circle, right? Our construction program, all of that is nested in our strategic plan. We have around 200 strategic plan benchmarks to hit this year as we finish out year one, which ends midsummer, and we're about two-thirds of the way home, and we'll be publishing an update pretty soon. So again, this is that roadmap that centers our work. It helps us keep that eye on that big picture at 30,000 feet and get the work done on the block at that one-foot level. It's the scaffolding for what we do that connects those dots between where we are today and where we need to be as a more equitable, accessible, resilient, and connected city. So I'll finish. I promise I'm wrapping up. I'll finish with a little story. So this year, we launched a program called, it was Mayor Leifert's Open Boulevards program, where we picked a couple of boulevards across the city, uh, Drexel on the south, Logan on the north, Independence on the west side, North Lawndale, where I'm showing you the bike map. And, you know, we just did the simplest thing. We worked with neighborhood organizations, uh, churches, community groups, and said, hey, if we if we closed... I don't know, like a mile of the boulevard on a Sunday. Could you help be there? Could you maybe have a few tables, chairs? Just give people an opportunity to get outside and really think differently about this whole system, this whole street. Maybe it could be something else. So, and I have to give a nod to Jamie Simone, Deputy Commissioner of Strategic Initiatives who really led this project and our Division of Infrastructure Management that also made it happen. So what we did was we just put up some cones and some barriers, you know, those Type 3 barriers, those are the three, orange. Yeah, I know you, you love them, see them. Uh, but that's what we have. It's easy. Put up some barricades, worked with community groups and said, hey, you could just just use the space. We got working bikes to come out and, uh, and the one in uh, Independence, which um, was really amazing, uh, they came out and they just put bikes on the street, just threw some roller skates and some scooters and kids just start coming out of their houses. They're racing and they're whipping around on the boulevard. It's, really, it's just fabulous, just amazing. And so I was talking with a pastor at Stone Temple Baptist Church, which is right across from where the event was happening. And uh, she said, you know, we try all the time to do events on the boulevard. You know, we don't have the big closure or anything. We, we try, we put out things for kids, but the kids, they never come. And this is a community that's experiencing those outsized levels of violence across our city. But she said, this day with a bunch of orange cones, a couple of type 3 barricades. We closed the street for a day, maybe a mile of it, and it made a difference. It made a difference at that one-foot level right there on the block where kids came out of their homes when they don't normally do, where they reimagined their neighborhood, where they saw the possibility of what we can do with all of that infrastructure that we have with a simple thing, like putting up a barricade and working with community groups to make something happen. For me, that is a benchmark. That is how we can move this city forward. We can connect all of the dots all the way up to what we're doing on that map with moments like this. So thank you for coming out today. I appreciate your time. And now I think I take some questions. Sure. All right.
1: And before we do that, I'll mention uh, if anyone has uh, a question, please. There are cards on your table. I, we do have a number of uh, pre-submitted questions that I'll start with, but there are cards on your tables, uh, and there should be pens if you don't have one.
3: Only softballs.
1: <laughs> only only softballs, and and uh, yeah, all right. and only if you can write legibly. <laughs> I got some new glasses here. Uh, so please do that, and we've got Amanda, Jan, uh, others that uh, will come around and, and, and help uh, collect those questions. I'll start with the softball. How about that? <laughs> uh, all right, so Timothy Thomas from the Cook County Homeland Security and Emergency <laughs> Management um, ask what your philosophy and approach to public and customer service is, but there's more. It should serve as a model because in my workings with you, I've found you to be among the most responsive public managers in city government. I'd agree with that. Thank you.
3: I still have a lot of emails to answer. So apologies. if we're not. No, thank you for that. Um, you know, I think, you got a taste of the philosophy here, and I think it really centers around recognition that expertise comes in all forms, right? I talked about that local knowledge, local know-how, and, you know, uh, Mrs. Jones, who sits uh, on her porch and watches her street every day, she's always going to know more about that street than I will. So while we bring a ton of expertise, mean, part of our job is to create the opportunity Create the trust, build the relationship, so Mrs. Jones will share with us what's going on, and then we can do a better project. And I think that—that that is a philosophy, but that's also the—you know—the everyday work of my team. Who, you know, I can—I can stand here and say all of this, but without the folks at Cdot who carry that out with sincerity, with an eye on that larger map, um, it wouldn't happen. So, uh, thank you for that question.
1: Okay. Um, excuse me, Meg. Uh Meg Kindlin, JLK Architects, uh, asks how we continue to be good stewards of our historic material while keeping up with all the necessary updates to our ever-aging infrastructure. Does that work?
3: No, that's a a great question, right? We're putting our hands on everything right now. And it is critical that we do... uh, Give it the attention that it deserves. I think a great example is a a bridge and viaduct work we're doing in Lincoln Park at Montrose, uh, where we worked with the state historic preservation folks. uh, We work with our local landmarks folks and, and, you know, really all the, the knowledge that's in the city about how to take care of those landmarks. Now, you know, even down to thinking about you know, on our bascule bridges, right, that Merlot color, right, keeping the, some of the things that are part of our not only our historical memory but, you know, our mental map of, of what we're looking at and where it is in our city. So I think uh, it also takes help from our consultants who we bring on to do these projects that you're also attuned to it. You bring on teams with that expertise. Uh, that's also important, too. Uh, but We have a lot of components of our neighborhood's um, that maybe they're not considered historic today, but we're also looking at. I mean, you think about neighborhood identifiers, right? Um, you have the archways in Pilson. You have maybe the Puerto Rican flags uh, over in Humboldt Park. You have other aspects of the public way um, that are significant. And so in addition to things that have already taken the trappings and all the paperwork of being historic, it's part of our job, I think, to be stewards of what we recognize together are emblems and symbols of our city and who we are.
1: Got a lot of questions. I hope we got a couple more minutes here, and and I'm I'm standing here in front of Dr. Ed Mazer and, and and Jackie Robinson Ivy, the master of the Q and A. So I, I better get this right. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Commissioner. So a couple of questions here, and I'm just going to keep it simple because there there are a lot of comments and ideas, and um, but maybe if you talk for a minute about Lakeshore Drive. Um, Redefine the Drive project. Uh, there's a couple, uh, Chester uh, Kropodlowski and uh, David Kostelinski, uh Lakeshore Park Advisory Council. You know, the number of questions, uh, I, I think you are pretty familiar with some of the plans that have been in the works for a while with your department and, and also some community groups. If you could address that, I'd, we'd appreciate
3: it. Yeah. Happy to. You know, um, Redefine the Drive is one of those funny projects when You know, I was at the Park District, gosh, a long time ago now. Uh, Maybe I was just 10 years old. Uh, But we were talking about this project like two careers ago for me, and it really was one of the more wonderful things about coming back to the city was that this project is here, you know, been moving along for the last 10 years, and there's a whole lot uh, that has to be done in terms of really figuring out the engineering piece right we are trying to walk through a number of choices what is what is the the best number of lanes or the width of lanes and what's the impact on the park you know what is the kind of throughput that we're looking for there are all of those questions and how do you engineer it in uh, in a way that is respectful to the park in which it resides but also predicts frankly how we're going to move around this city not just tomorrow or 10 years from now but 10, 20, 30, here is 40, 50. This is a legacy project. And so while there's that aspect, right, there's the transportation piece, but there's the parks piece, right? This is a fundamental transformative opportunity for our city. So you must know about this project, but if you don't, you know, we're talking from, you know, Ohio Street all the way to the city limits and redoing the drive. And so what we're what we're doing now, as we're tinkering with the math on the transportation systems, we're combining that with a better understanding and intentional work around what is the park experience? What is it like to go from Michigan Avenue to North Avenue Beach? What is it like to go from neighborhoods further north to destinations on the lakefront? How do we understand that better and put that understanding into design, right? And match the two and come out with a project that we're all proud of, that we point back to, right? We have the the Rose Kennedy Greenways in Boston and other projects like that, the Beltline in Atlanta. This has that opportunity to be that transformative for our city. And I I think uh, we all know it. So one of the things that we've been doing recently is we beefed up our really amazing design team that was already thinking about how, what's the human experience? So We've added, uh, Gell architects to our design team, who is known, uh, Jan Gell, who studied, uh, what is the life in between buildings? Who was a big part of over in, in Europe looking at how do you transform streets and places that are really attuned to a human level experience. So we've beefed up. That conversation, so we'll be out on the lakefront uh, over the next couple of months interviewing people, taking feedback. We just had a pretty large task force meeting online, and, uh, so you can engage in that way and learn more about the project. So it's all starting to converge. Uh, I know it's been a lot of patience, but it's, it's coming very soon, and we fundamentally see this as this transformative project that is at that intersection of how we move and how we live and play uh, right on our lakefront. So we promise to get it right. I'm gonna
1: combine a couple of uh, a couple of bike questions. So right. we'll put your bike helmet on. Um Mary Lupa. Um basically you did I mean and we love here at the City Club when you make news, right? I five thousand five thousand bikes. Oh, That's pretty cool. Um that will be um that will be really appreciated in all sorts of communities. So uh could you talk for a minute more about your bicycle investment strategy. And then there was a specific question. Uh, has there been any talk about bikes for kids like Divi, maybe expanding the Divi bike program uh, for children, smaller bikes that came from uh, Jonathan anchor?
3: Well, I think that's a fabulous idea. I'm not sure yeah. how, how we would do it, but the notion that we could have uh, bikes uh, for young people, that would be really amazing. So, uh, I know someone on my group is writing that down, and we will take it up uh, with Divvy and Lyft. Why not? Why not be the first city to have something like that? If we can figure out scooters, and we can figure out uh, bike share, and we've added electric bikes. Um, so if you haven't ridden one of the gray bikes, those are the those are the wicked fast ones. They're really fun. <laughs> be safe. Wear a helmet. Um, but so I think you, you know you did hear quite a bit about. Uh, our philosophy around building out bike infrastructure in the news and, and about not only providing bikes, but finishing the infrastructure, making sure it's available everywhere in the city. That's what we're trying to do. And then again, it's like, how do we make sure that it's welcoming, inviting, it's safe, it feels good uh, to ride your bike in the city. We want it to be part of your every day. I could go through the, the. I think we have eight varieties of bike lane that we deliver. Uh, and really it's trying to find the right tool for the job in each circumstance. Um, but so I, I, we're happy to take in your ideas and figure out how we can do more. Um, certainly connecting, you know, the schools with some of our bike program, libraries, all roads lead to libraries. How about it? Um, but, you know, we're in conversation about what we do at the apron of libraries, and I think making cycling really accessible um, and approachable uh, is another thing. Another thing that we do, if you don't know, if you don't know how to ride a bike, that's okay. Yes, we have a class for you. We teach grown-ups how to ride a bike. It's okay. You're with a bunch of grown-ups. You're falling, Not really falling, um, But that's part of our program. We have this, uh, we have a group called the SAFE Ambassadors. SAFE stands for Streets Are For Everyone and they are all over the city at whatever event it is a festival or city services events they go to community meetings they bring bikes they bring helmets they teach kids they teach adults and they're also helping folks to understand how they can get engaged in creating that infrastructure and those resources in their neighborhood so um, i I know we we did teach uh, one of our uh, fine city councilmen how to ride a bike this year I, i think he posted a lot of video about it but if, uh, if you're too shy, come see me. I'll set you up. Um, but I think it's important that, uh, you know, we want to remove all the limitations. Uh, we want to make it as easy as possible. Yes, people do drive their cars. They will drive their cars. But we want to give you a lot of options. Because someone on a bike is not in a car. That's one less car on the road. Uh, that's the kind of change that we can make with the little things, like giving away bikes and the big things, like making the system easy, safe, and welcoming to ride.
1: Sir? We have two more. Uh, well, we have 10 more, but I'm going to narrow it down to two.
3: Um,
1: and since that was such a great idea, I should probably get the name right. I, this next time, maybe write a little more legibly. Um, <laughs> I think I called you Jonathan. but It's jo- I think Joanne Haker. I'm sorry. Johan. That's okay. Thank you. And in the spirit of, 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 legible writing Uh, i can't even tell who wrote this one and and, or why but it 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 was kind of interesting to me how many people in the room are chicago residents so let's just do a show of hands wow pretty neat good i think we should ask that every time stay here um so, thank you. Last uh, last question. Oh, I loved your comment about great streets uh, is critical to uh, economic vitality, and especially for so many different communities. Um, but similar to the Lakeshore Drive, any specific thoughts on the future of the Mag Mile and Michigan Avenue? Um, you know, between the river and uh, Oak
3: Street. Yeah.
0: Thanks for
3: that. Well, I- I'm glad for that question because. Great streets can be everywhere. They can be in neighborhoods, like the streetscape projects I was talking about, and they're right here in downtown, and they are part of our recovery. And I know that there are probably folks in this room and and folks right outside these walls who've been working really hard, like... Like Dan, where we've been in conversations about how can we transform Michigan Avenue, take it to the next level. How about LaSalle, right? Uh, You just saw the Urban Land Institute uh, did a technical assistance panel on LaSalle. And what does it mean uh, for the changing nature of the land uses, right, Um, as companies have people working at home? What is all of that going to mean? And it, it doesn't mean that we should stop investing. And I'm very interested in how we can invest in streets like these signature streets in our city make them even more pedestrian friendly, make them even more a comfortable public realm. Because the shops, they come and go, right? We saw that. But the experience can be great all the time. Anyone who's been to Las Ramblas in Barcelona or, you know, some of the – even Lincoln Road in uh, South Beach, Miami. These are places, again, it's the same philosophy of linger. You might come just for the street, And the shopping is an extra, and it's a great part of that economic shot in the arm. And so we're very interested in looking at uh, working together on some of the best design ideas uh, that make these parts of our public realm signature attractions, no matter whether, you know, no matter who's occupying the retail, uh, but people want to come. And that's what makes the streets feel good in the first place. Being around people, where places tourists want to come to, and, you know, you sneak through and and do your thing on the street. Uh, It also means Making streets possible for the temporal changes that we might want to do on them, like that boulevards, right? We should be able to. Let's, you know, close a street like Michigan Avenue, like we experimented with uh, in partnership with the Michigan Avenue Association to create these pop up moments, right? We can stop for a minute. We can create a plaza out of the street. And again, having uh, these programmatic Pieces happen. I think what you saw on State Street, uh, lunch on LaSalle, these kinds of things, they're not only bringing people back, they're helping you recognize, wow, you know, maybe I, my street doesn't have to be a street every minute of every day. Maybe my street's a place. And maybe we can look at the clock, the 18-hour clock, a little differently. Maybe from 9 to 11, yeah. It's people coming in and out to work. Maybe from 11 to 2, it's a place I can eat my lunch, and we can roll out some tables and have an umbrella. You know, I, I think those are the kinds of futures for streets in every city. So I think the challenge for us, how do you build them forward compatible so we can do these inventive things? We can do the things we haven't even thought of that reposition our streets as assets. And I think anybody who was able to stay home uh, and work from home during the height of COVID, you looked out your front window, right, and you're like, wow. There's nobody in that street. You know, maybe I could just walk down the middle of it, you know. <laughs> it's funny when we did the open boulevards event and we closed shut down miles, I would walk down the center lane because people were still walking on the sidewalks. <laughs> and you're like, No, 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 it's okay, it's cool. Um but I think, right? But that's a change. And that's what we can do with our physical investments, what we can do with programming. It can be fundamentally transformative for how we use our streets and put those 4,000 miles uh, in service of more needs that we have.
1: Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Commissioner. We could probably be here another hour, but the Commissioner has to get back to work. She clearly has plenty to do Uh, next time we can talk about. Uh, let's see, electric transit systems, okay, so yes. the green alleys, and we'll share m- more of these. But some great questions, uh, a great crowd, and a great public servant, uh, Commissioner Gia-, Gia Biagi, a visionary who actually understands action and how to get things done. So thank you very much again, Commissioner. <clears throat>